We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey Packaday listeners, it's Sarah Kelleher from the Wednesday edition of the Packaday podcast. As all of us are learning how to navigate through what are some unprecedented times, our team here at Packaday, as well as the team at Cheesehead TV, will be joining forces to help those who need it. With recent COVID-19-related school closures, job disruptions, and health risks, millions of Americans will turn to local food banks for much-needed support. Together, our teams are raising money to benefit Feeding America, the nation's largest domestic hunger relief organization. Our fundraising campaign will run through March 26th to April 3rd, and all proceeds will go towards Feeding America's efforts to providing meals to those who need it across the nation. For more information, You can visit the Packaday Twitter at Packaday Podcast or check out any of our team's Twitter profiles. We hope you'll join us on our week-long effort to support those who truly need it. Thank you in advance for your contribution. Thank you for always listening. And as always, go Pack Go! Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack a Day podcast. You can get all your Pack a Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack a Day Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, it is good to be back for another Friday show. How are you doing this week? 
Really good. We're uh, practicing some social isolation, of course, but um, you, you heard before our intro tonight that we do have a GoFundMe set up to help support Feeding America. So that's a really fantastic cause. So thanks for the rest of the Packaday podcast hosts and uh, Cheesehead TV for, for putting that together. If you're in a financial situation where you feel like you can support to it, please check us out on Twitter. Um, I think every host and everybody that's involved in Cheesehead has retweeted that at some point. So um, it's out there. Overall, we're just hoping to provide some much-needed distraction for our listeners this week. So, uh, yeah, we got we got a cool show. Yeah, absolutely. Big shout-out to Sarah Kelleher for putting that together. It's a great way uh, to just do something good in the midst of all that's happening right now. So definitely check that out. Uh, you can find links you know, on the Packaday Twitter account and on most of the Packaday members' uh, Twitter accounts as well. So check that out. Support it. We appreciate that. Um, but tonight, we are super excited to be joined by the one and only Ben Solak of the Draft Network. If you're not familiar with Ben, you absolutely should be. Uh, ben produces a ton of great draft content. He's an, he's an awesome follow on Twitter as well. And he was kind enough to join us last year in the run-up to the draft. And for whatever reason, he's agreed to join us again uh, this time around. So thanks so much, Ben, for taking the time. And welcome back to the Back of Day podcast. Yeah, no, I'm mostly just bored at home. It's the only reason I'm on. You know, I don't know. <laughs> nah, it's a busy time. Listen, we're all, but like, literally like this time a year ago, you and I were, uh, the three of us were talking about offensive linemen the Packers could draft. And here we are a year later. And we're going to talk about some offensive linemen the Packers could draft. <laughs> this is absolutely true. Last year, we did have you come on. We were convinced that Green Bay was going to be drafting Brian Belaga's replacement in that 2019 draft. So uh, we asked you last year to take us through guys like Jonah Williams and Caleb McGarry, uh, Jawan Taylor, Andre Dillard, and all kinds of fun offensive tackles. Because, like you said, we were convinced that one of them was bound to be a Green Bay Packer. Well, we were absolutely wrong there. The Packers did not select Belaga's replacement at all. In fact, it seems we were just scouting offensive tackles for the Packers before it was cool because here we are in 2020 and the Packers no longer have Brian Belaga this year. He's a L.A. Charger, of course, and the Packers have Rick Wagner now as a one, maybe two-year Band-Aid at that right tackle position. And so it would certainly seem like Green Bay is now in the market for at least a developmental tackle of the future. So um, we're circling back around here. We thought we'd ask Ben to come back and help us again uh, wrap our minds around this 2020 tackle class. And so uh, I'm going to hand things off to Andrew here and let uh, you know us kick things off with this tackle group. Yeah, and before I let Ben get started, I, I just wanted to say a few things. Um, last year when we had Ben and then Joe Marino on, I was kind of reflecting how, like, when I was a kid, I would actually cut the mock draft out of the newspaper. Like, they would print one the day before the draft, and that right, was the yeah. only draft coverage that you really got. <laughs> and, like, if I was lucky, maybe we would go on a trip somewhere, and my parents would, like, bribe me to behave by buying me a draft guide, and, like, I'd have my hands on that. Um, and in high school, I had like a little bit of internet access and I would print out some mock drafts from across the web, which were always super sketchy and like you never knew who on earth was was printing them out or, or <laughs> writing them, I should say. Um, and draft coverage obviously has changed and there just simply has never been a source that provides the kind of in-depth knowledge as the draft network. And I don't say that to just like blow smoke uh, for our guests. I really, really mean that. I love what you guys do. Um, 
I'm a very proud premium member of TDN. Like you, you get the trades in the mock draft and the individual team draft guides and you get access to the experts in the Slack channel. And it's 30 bucks a year, which is an absolute steal. Um, even if you guys had no features, I would still be a premium subscriber because <laughs> I, I use your site to double check all of my personal opinions about draft prospects. And it, it's just like everything is so well thought out. And you can tell you guys are super passionate about what you do because when, when even a simple feature, like when you're doing a mock draft and you can click on the player and see all of the different experts opinions of that draft prospect, like that, that's so helpful and, and such a cool feature and so fun for us draft nerds out there. So I know this all sounds like an ad. It isn't, but I just really appreciate what you guys have done. No, I, I'm very thankful of you saying that. The only thing I would add is next time, please do it just to blow smoke. Uh, next time, don't do it because you mean it. Just, just do it to be nice to me. Thanks, man. If that, it, that, that, if, that's awesome if it was Joe, we, we would feel like we have to pump up his ego. Yeah, but. yeah, right. <laughs> Joe, we got to make sure he feels good about his work. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so actual questions. Uh, this tackle class is widely considered to have a big four. Um, do you agree with that thought process? And can you tell what you like about each of those big four? Yeah, big four for sure. And And that's like, you know. It's not to say, like, there's only four good ones. There's a lot of good ones. But there's four where, like, you can't watch them and miss it. You know, it, it it's yeah. impossible to, to to watch them and not see what we got here. So, Jedrick Wills out of Alabama, Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, Makai Becton out of Louisville. That's the order in which I have them. And there's a chance things still move, to be honest. I would love to go watch more Andrew Thomas, watch more Jedrick Wills, because right now they're pretty much neck and neck for me. I think both of them are special players. Uh, they're the two that I like the most. Jedrick has a lower half like you wouldn't believe. Andrew Thomas has an upper half like you wouldn't believe. We put them together, we get Thanos. We can't do that. But but when, <laughs> when you watch Wills' film at Alabama, what's so exciting is the the mirror quickness that he has, the fluidity and the ability to redirect and recover is what re really makes him special. And we're going to talk about this because I, I see we have a question about this a little later. But one of the things about offensive tackle play is it's inherently reactive, right? Like you, you can dictate with with jump sets and you can dictate with fake punches and, and a lot of really good technical offensive tackles like Jason Peters and Toronto Armstead do do stuff like that. But it's inherently reactive. You know, the guy's going to try to get to the quarterback. The quarterback's going to be moved off his spot. You're not going to know where he is and you have to recover at all times. And so it's a, it's a position where you, inherently you need really quick reflexes and the ability to recover. And that's what Wills has better than anybody else in this class. Thomas, Wirfs, Becton, they're all much more so power dudes they win with strength they win with grip strength they win with length and size and 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 just once they land their hands on you then they're in control with wills wills could pass block you without touching you because he has that that explosive movement ability that's what puts him at number one for me now like i said he's neck and neck with me with thomas thomas doesn't recover with quickness thomas recovers because he's massive right and and, and mckay Becton is huge and and tristan Wirf's a big dude but thomas is huge and he's really patient he's really controlled he's really balanced so he he lets it come to him right so he's not so much in the jason peters or toronto armstead mold as he is necessarily in the teron smith mold if we're talking about elite tackles in terms of teron knows he's huge he knows he's strong so he's going to sit in a deep set and he's going to let you do what you think you can do and he's going to swallow you up and take you where you want to go right so there's so much patience in thomas's game when he came into the combine with over 36 inch arms i mean like nobody thought he was that long 
but you see it and then you go back to the tape and you're like, well, duh, he's got 36 inch arms because you watch him make some of these plays where he's controlling rushers up beyond the peak of the arc. And you're like, yeah, this dude's freaky long. So those are my top two guys. It doesn't take anything away from Tristan Wirfs and Mackay Becton, Iowa and Louisville respectively. A lot of it's just what they were asked to do, right? So Wirfs didn't take as many traditional pass sets at Iowa where he was unprotected by tight ends. I mean, Iowa had a tight end on his side all the time. It's because that's Iowa football, right? And, and Iowa incorporated a lot more spread ideas and RPO stuff than they ever had before this year. It was good to see the development. But at the end of the day, Worfs is still capped. So he's still getting chips from tight ends and he's still getting uh, edges pushed to wider alignments because they're outside of the tight ends, which gives him more time to get into his sets. And so he had, uh, it was protected a little bit. It was a little bit easier, not because he's not talented, because played for Iowa. That's just how that goes sometimes. He has unbelievable run blocking ability, the explosive and and the combo lifts and the jumps at the combine. I mean, from a physical tools perspective, nobody's going to be able to uproot defenders and move people as effectively as Worfs. He's a delight in the second level. If you're a base running team, like if you're talking about the Giants who want to run the football, if they like Worfs more than anybody else, I can't fault them for that. I think Worfs is probably the best run blocker in the class. And then Makai Beckton. I mean, what is there to say, right? You look at the dude, you know he's going to play tackle in the NFL. He's a freak, (laughs) man. I mean, it's just, I, I wanted, I, you see him in the in Indy in the Combine, I just wanted him to pick me up. I just wanted to see what it would be like, you know, just because he's an unbelievable human being. He really got better across the course of his final season at Louisville. Everybody knew when he came into the Cardinals, he was a, a distinct physical talent. It was whether or not he could put together the athletic ability into actual technique, into actual quality tape. That was the final season at Louisville. The ceiling is through the roof with this guy, and everybody's very excited about that. He's raw. He makes some bad mistakes. Whenever you have guys who have that much of an advantage from an athleticism perspective, technically they're not super sound because they can get away with it. And why would you work hard on your technique if you could just be really huge and really strong? It's a lot easier that way. So Becton, again, by no fault of his own, uh, the Louisville Scott Satterfield offense afforded him a ton of space. The ball came out really quickly, so you didn't have to maintain blocks that much. He's still got every tool in the book. He's got a delightful foundation. If you like your offensive line coach, you think he develops well, Makai Becton's the dude you want because he's got, you know, that Jonathan Ogden ceiling, right? That Trent Brown ceiling. Brown was the highest paid tackle when he made the free agent market. I mean, that that's Becton could be one of the best tackles we've ever seen if you get it all together with him. So what would what would be a like comfortable pick number that all four of them yeah. would be gone? Do you think it's like 14, 12? Yeah, so I'm actually I'm actually writing this piece next week. So I think it's a really interesting piece in terms of figuring that out, right? And as of right now, when I look at it, to me, it's 11. Now, 14 wow. is the next spot, wow. <laughs> but I think it's 11 because I think we, you're, you have the Giants on the table, the Chargers on the table, the Panthers on the table, the Cardinals on the table, the Browns on the table. That's just five in the top 10. <laughs> there are some who would argue the Jaguars are on the table. It depends on how they feel about Cam Robinson's health moving forward. And then the Jets at 11. If one of the four is on the board still and the Jets don't take them, you got to fire everybody in the building. And I don't think I don't I don't think Joe Douglas would. I think Joe Douglas would literally fight Adam Gase tooth and nail to get a tackle. Because Douglas, they've tried to remake that offensive line in consecutive offseasons now. They had five new starters last year. They got like four new starters this year. And they, they got one of their draft picks, right? Chuma Doga, third-round pick out of USC, is a tackle who developed along nicely for them on the right. they got to get the left tackle fixed. they got to get left tackle and edge fixed. This team has not had that player for so long at, at both positions. And it's absurd. So I think... The Jets have to make that pick, and then there's too many teams in front of the Jets at 11 for me to think all the tackles get there. If Tampa gets a tackle at 14 or Denver gets a tackle at 15, they'll be thrilled because I, I I think that that's on the low-end projection for a lot of these guys. So you're saying that there's a decent chance that they'll be there at 30, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Basically, I think Andrew Thomas will be there in the 20s. You do a small trade-up. It'll be good. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, obviously, they're not going to be there at 30. That's a pipe dream at this point. So um, we're not getting one of these guys, and you just got us really excited about it. So that's the bummer part. But um, Houston's Josh Jones is kind of perceived as maybe this um, OT5, you know, that guy that's just behind this group. What are your thoughts on Jones, and is he someone that you'd be excited about if you were the Packers picking um, at pick 30? Yeah, so every year we do this where, like, ta- early tackle picks were one of two things. Really good, technically sound, ready-to-play starters, Jonah Williams last year, right? Or they are just complete projects with delightful athletic tools, and we're going to try to make them into something, right? And that last year was, like, Titus Howard, Alabama State, right? Where it's like, all right, this guy got low-level coaching and turned out NFL-caliber tape if we— continue to build on the athletic ability and we get him NFL caliber coaching, he should develop into something. Those are always our early picks at tackle. When Josh Jones started to get run, it's very clear very quickly that Jones does not have category one. He is not the technician. He is not like, you know, he's upright out of his stance, Uh, you know, Houston, he's, he's, uh, jump setting all the time. You know, he's taking these these flat sets to the line of scrimmage. Ball's coming out so fast. So if he vertical sets, he's just sitting in his set. He's not really doing anything. He's not instigating with his hands. He's just carrying rushers where they want to go. It's the AAC. So you're only seeing three rushers. The guys are two gapping. Technically, he's not doing anything that stands out as a first rounder. So if you're, he's getting first round hype, it's because of the elite athletic ability. And when I watch Josh Jones tape and I'm, pretty much alone among the draft network staff on this. But when I watched Josh Jones tape, I couldn't find the elite film and I couldn't find the elite athleticism on the film. I, I didn't see, I, I see a player who like, cool, let's bring him in. Maybe a starter ability, you know, maybe he's a day two pick, but this guy was a, it was a, a, a four year starter for Houston and never really came out technically to be what you wanted him to be. And never really came out athletically what you want him to be. And then he shows up in Indianapolis for the combine and doesn't have, tremendous testing i mean it's fine but you know 28.5 in the vert 109 in the broad i I don't think he ran a 40 if memory serves he came in a little bit under 34 inches in the arms he's not particularly big he's not particularly long he's not particularly strong he's not particularly quick now he got better during his last season at houston but if you're banking on exclusively the improvement continuing in the nfl that's a really risky bet development is not linear especially when you make the jump from a group of five programs to the nfl so i you know if you wanted a josh jones fan you should have called on another analyst right <laughs> I'm, I'm about as low on him as 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 you'll find if you were gonna go after a project at the end of round one a guy who needs time to sit and develop i've got five tackles with better tools than him are going to be on the board right and, and they probably didn't start for as long so they've got even less experience. You don't have to work coaching out of them. So to me, I, I really just don't get it with Josh Jones in the first round hype. That's a thought I have with Josh Jones. When you mentioned that he's a four-year starter, that is something that I, I guess makes me a little bit nervous about taking that swing um, on a guy who's had some time to work out some of those kinks a little bit more. Um, it is a place like Houston and those kinds of things. But I know at this point, uh, Andrew wants to throw me under the bus a little bit about this this next guy we want to talk about. So I'm just going to just go ahead and take that right here. I'm, I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm just saying that, like, we have a lot of vitriol about this particular prospect. So it's going to get contentious really quickly. But um, <laughs> the player in this 
draft class that has caused the most arguments between Kyle and myself is Austin Jackson. And I have a film grade on the USC tackle that puts him at OT 15 on my board. Now, in fairness, I adjust everything to the Packers preferences. So him being really young and having a pretty good relative athletic score helped to boost him up. But Kyle thinks he could be an option at 30. I don't want anything to do with Austin Jackson until like much later than he's actually going to be available. So what are your thoughts on him? Um, and just keep in mind that whoever you agree with has breaking rates forever. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put it this way. If you're going to draft him, it's going to need to be a 30, given where the league is going to take him. But yeah, I'm, I'm closer to Andrew probably on this one. Uh, I see, firstly... I can tell you if USC is running or passing the football based off his stance, which always freaks me out, right? It's the first <laughs> thing I check with a tackle is like, can I tell what you're about to do given your stance? Because if I can, TJ Watt can. If TJ Watt can, you're screwed, right? So like, you know, like, you you have to be able to not tip. Which So some of it's, it's, it's a scheme, like they, teams just don't care if their tackles are giving that away or not. But so anyway, that freaks me out. And then secondly, I don't, I, I don't see a player who's able to sustain blocks. I see a player who's able to instigate blocks. I think he's got quality length i think he's got quality quickness i think he gets into his sets really nicely i think on the hoof he's good and so he can engage and get tag on the second level linebackers are moving in space i don't see austin sustained blocks and and that's concerning to me because he struggles to anchor against power rushes he struggles to, to displace players in the running game when he's coming downhill he's upright out of his stance a lot he loses connection in the running game so he'll initially create hands and then you know if it's zone flow and and he's crashing down on a three-tech, then the three-tech tries to work backside over under, over his back shoulder. Jackson can't keep his grip and continue to drive him. So, like, I see a waist bender at times. He doesn't activate his hips. I, I see a, a player who panics at times because he knows he's not going to be able to sustain blocks and recover. And so with, with, with Jackson... Yes, like uh, not dissimilarly to Jones, I'll acknowledge the tools. But if you're drafting this guy early, I can get somebody with better tools for you. And Jackson right now, I think might have a prohibitive problem in terms of his ability to grip, sustain and maintain contact. Because if you're just like I, I joke with Jedrick Wills, he can pass back without his arms. Right. You obviously don't want to do that because you're going to lose pretty frequently. <laughs> Jackson right now doesn't play with his upper half nearly to the, the, the strength caliber that I I would expect him to. And when I talk with, with, with people, you know, with scouts and with agents and people who get a feel for where these guys are going to go, the main concern everybody has with Jackson is he's thin up top. And so they don't know if he has the upper body strength and the mass to be able to handle NFL size rushers. So <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's, his, what's Andrew's response? So to defend myself, um, my uh, like for Jackson is not so much tied to my personal feelings towards him. I just think the Packers are going to really like him. He's an RAS player. Um, he's 20 years old. I don't think he's even going to turn 21 until after the draft. Um, he's an easy mover. There's things you like about him, and I think that he could be um, that kind of a guy. His grandpa played for the Packers, so there's lots of ties. Not saying I would actually be kind of upset if they made the pick at 30, but I can. I'm preparing myself emotionally because I think it could be um, a direction that they you could just, go. You just keep walking this back. <laughs> That's Take your L. That's right. Okay, um, but. I guess Ben's talking about if we can find players with more tools at this point, that may be a good move. So another controversial name is Ezra Cleveland, and he had some love before the combine, but has apparently vaulted into the top 50 picks, at least after an elite combine performance. So uh, where are you at um, on Cleveland, Ben? Yeah, man, raw than a California roll, right? I mean, like... (laughs) And, and and listen, like, again, like I've been saying, if you want a developmental tackle, I can find the guy with the athletic ability you actually want. This is the dude. I mean, he's a, 
the movement skills are out of this world, right? And he dealt with injury across the course of his, his last season uh, with Boise. You turn on the 2018 tape on Ezra Cleveland. Kids flying around the field like he's a tight end. He weighs 305 when he was playing there. He's probably a little bit less than that, to be honest, right around 300. But still, at an NFL caliber size, with NFL caliber height and length, dude's just moving, right? So he's delightful on the hoof. And, and what's really exciting is, I think if if Jones is your long-term plan at running back, which I, I, I don't know if he is or not for Green Bay, but if Jones is, you probably want to consider and continue running some wide zone concept. And so you're going to want your offensive line, which... Green Bay's tend to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, they tend to have a pretty hefty offensive line. They tend to have a, an offensive line with good size. You're going to start to prioritize even more, I think, explosiveness and quickness. I might be totally wrong there, in which case cut me off. But you're going to want um, the, go ahead. They, it, it's, it's really confusing now because obviously they switched to Matt LaFleur's scheme last right. year. Um, and they had two tackles who moved relatively well. And then they, they went, you know, the, the two acquisitions that they made were both at guard with Elton Jenkins and Billy Turner. And so they, they went with two kind of power guards. So I, I would assume that they would be looking for tackles that move in space a little bit better, but we have no idea because uh, Brian Gutekunst hasn't drafted tackles since LaFleur has been the head coach. Man, you should have drafted a tackle last year, but that was last year's podcast. Anyway, <laughs> So with Cleveland, I have a sub five foot, a sub five flat forty yard dash. I have a seven two six three cone, four four six short shuttle, which are like legit tight end numbers, like good tight end numbers for an offensive tackle. The movement skills are tremendous. He's not super long. He doesn't have great grip strength, which I, I was. It's, it's, he's got a similar build to Jackson, so the concerns are there. But he's much quicker than Jackson. He's much more explosive than Jackson. Jackson's fine in space, but Ezra's really, I think, a special player. And then that foot quickness shows up in your pass set. So you have the full range of pass sets with this guy. He can drop into a 45. He can drop into a vertical because he's got good mobility and he's got tremendous uh, balance and flexibility in the lower half. So you should be able to get the full range of pass sets out of him. Never going to be a people mover. But if you're looking for that Lane Johnson sort of a dude at your right tackle position, right? And and, and this is not necessarily how Bulaga played and how he won, but just that guy who's going to sit back deep into his stance. He's going to mirror match. He's going to take a rusher where he wants to go. He's going to let him dictate, and then he's going to recover and, and ride with him. That's Ezra Cleveland. So in terms of the three that we've just previously discussed, Jones, Jackson, and Cleveland, Cleveland would be the guy I'd be most comfortable taking in, in round one for the Packers. It is tricky because I think if you needed him to start, Maybe Austin Jackson's better for you right now, but with the Rick Wagner contract, I think you have time to develop Cleveland out. So he's the guy I would like the best of those three. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that makes Ezra Cleveland really interesting is you see the success that Green Bay had with David Bakhtiari. Great movement skills, learned how to uh, anchor and, and handle some of that power throughout his career. And then we, we are all emotionally scarred from Jason Spriggs, who we anticipated being oh, the same player. Oh, man. Jason then, Spriggs burned us bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so one player that is really not like those guys um, would be Lucas Niang from TCU. He He's personally my offensive tackle five because I think he's just, like, really intriguing. And out of, out of the players we've talked about, I actually see him as somebody who could potentially start right away. Um, but what are your thoughts on Niang? Yeah, Andrew, we, we see this class similarly, man. I don't know if that's good news or bad news for you, but we do. Pro- probably not good news for you, but... No, Niang's <laughs> a ball player. And and so here's what's really important about Niang, right? He comes to the combine, and he gets his hip completely medically cleared because he had hip injury uh, that 
I believe he got at the end of 2018 and lagged into his 2019 season. And eventually they just shelved him for 2019. He started the year, but he was never at full health. He was playing through pain. And so they, they, they sat him for 2019 and you're going to go to the NFL. Don't waste your future. And what Niang ends up telling us during his media availability is not only did the hip injury sustain into 2019, not only has he been now fully medically cleared to get time to recover, but he couldn't even get into his pass sets. He couldn't even 45 degree set because of how much it hurt. Like he had to adjust how he was getting to his sets. He had to cut his, his, his kick step shorter and his back pedal shorter when he was dropping into these sets because he just couldn't put that much stress on his hip because it was, it was hurting him and he was playing hurt. If you go and you put on 2018 tape for Lucas and Yang, it's not a big four, it's a big five. And you know, like I, I think he'd be fifth out of the offensive tackles, but the 2018 film on Lucas and Yang, and they played Ohio State in 2018, he got Bosa and, and Chase Young. It's good film. I mean, this is a a, a dominant in uh, in the in the phone booth player. And we talk about displacement power. We talk about coil uncoil the hips to generate movement in space as both a pass blocker and a run blocker. Niang's a I mean, he's a coil, right? Like, he's a spring. He's spring-loaded. So he strikes people. There's a lot of power in those hands. He's got every measurable that you want to have a large range of influence as well. So he eats up ground quickly. He gets moving. He's not the most nimble dude in the face of the planet. Guys his size aren't the most nimble dude in the face of the planet. So the big question that we have with Yang is, how confident are teams in him returning 100% to health? Because... It's one thing to be tested at the combine and be cleared. It's another thing that you cannot go into teams and have their own doctors look at you one-on-one and have your own trainers put you through 45 minutes of hip mobility exercises because people can't travel, right? Mm-hmm. And so there, there's there's a, a, a faith, there's a leap of faith that has to be taken here when we talk about drafting Lucas Niang. For my money, with the information that we have at our disposal, Lucas Niang would be the fifth tackle off of my board. I would expect him to be a first-round pick. So to me, like if if I'm calling the shots in Green Bay, that's the player I'm targeting at 30 if I want to add a tackle. And I agree with you completely, Andrew. In terms of year one starters, especially Niang is so much more pro ready than Jones and then Jackson and then and then Cleveland and other guys. I'm sure we're going to talk about who likely project more as year two, year three starters. Niang is like Niang would fight for a starting guard spot. Niang would would go at Billy Turner in camp. You know what I mean? Like he's he's got that level of talent. Yeah, that's really exciting. I mean, he's a guy that I think would be really fun to add in the end of the first round. Um, and I think the medicals, like you said, are going to be really interesting to see what teams are willing to take that chance. Um, but my goodness, if the Packers are willing to go for that bigger tackle and maybe sway a little bit away from those elite athletes, I think he'd be a great add and one I'd love to see at the end of the first round. Uh, but if the Packers don't go tackle in the first couple rounds, they'll likely look to add someone who's more developmental who could play in a year or two. Um, and at Auburn's Jack Driscoll is a prospect that seems like someone the Packers might be interested in a little bit later in the draft. Do you have any thoughts on Driscoll? So, okay, I do you guys know Jordan Reed who works with me? Yeah, we're, yeah. Have you had him on before? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay, great dude, the man. Jordan and I were doing offensive tackles for the Locked on NFL Draft podcast. Plug, shout out Locked on NFL Draft. <laughs> In the preseason. And we're going to watch Prince Tego Minogo, offensive tackle out of Auburn. And we both watch him, and we both come back. And we're like, Prince Tego Minogo is kind of good. He's got this, he's got that. He's got great balance. He's got such a nice frame, whatever. And then I asked Jordan, I go, by the way, did you watch the right tackle like at all? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, is he kind of good? And Jordan was like, yeah, I got thoughts. And and Jack Driscoll's a grad transfer out of UMass. We have no idea who this kid is. He played that first season at right tackle for Auburn. I hadn't heard a lick about him. He had a great 
redshirt junior season at Auburn. He had a quality redshirt senior season at Auburn. He ends up being a Shrine Bowl, so he does not make the Senior Bowl with, with Tego Nogo. He's fine at the Shrine Bowl. I know teams potentially like him at guard more than they like him at tackle. So he's always been a guy who I've had my eye half on because when a guy jumps off the film for you, even if he ends up being a day three dude, he still feels like one of your guys because you didn't know about him coming in and then you found him. And that, that process of discovery is always really... It, it just tethers you to a guy. You, you like him for those reasons. I don't think Driscoll's going to be going in day one or day two. I think he's going to end up day three. I think he's going to end up being a a Dennis Kelly, a Halapulivati Vaitai, right? A, a, he can be your first guy off the bench if it's a guard who goes down or a tackle who goes down. Now, that is still inherently valuable. That's a very important role to play. Even with the new CBA making eight offensive linemen active now, you don't necessarily need guys with as much guard tackle interchangeability but it's still a real nice sixth guy to have off the line because you know he can fill multiple spots for you so driscoll i don't expect to be that early pick he doesn't have you know the movement skills of a starter his foot speed is going to get him in trouble when there's explosive rushers coming off the edge there's no way about that but maybe that transition to guard you put him in the phone booth that solves the problem for him he's a likable player and uh, two of the two of the guys uh, that might be available past the first round that I've kind of fallen in love with are Ben Barch from St. John's and Sadiq Charles from LSU. Um, and they, they kind of fit the age and athletic preferences that the Green Bay Packers typically have. Um, but what are your thoughts on those two players? What? So their age preference. So they like just super young kids overall or just in the offensive line? Overall. Um, uh, yeah, overall. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, Sadiq Charles, you're... you're playing my music i think this kid's awesome i i now i admit i think five to ten reps of his on any given game are absolutely terrible and are terrifying but generally he's awesome he's a ton of fun he's a highly inconsistent player and he struggled to stay on the active roster and he had some issues with the coaching staff and he got suspended for a game and nobody knows why and it's like you know so he he may not have the commitment to football that will lead him to be able to iron out those inconsistencies. And if you can't do that at the NFL level, you won't see starting at the NFL level. But when Sadiq Charles decided that Sadiq Charles wanted to play football for the LSU Tigers, Sadiq Charles was one of the best linemen the Tigers had. And that line won the Joe Moore Award, right? And, and when we talk about where those players are going to come off the board, I think Lloyd Cushenberry, the interior player, their guard is going to come off, or excuse me, their center, is going to come off first. And then I think Sadiq Charles will be the second off the board for the LSU line. A lot of it depends on his off-field stuff. But from a tools perspective, this dude hinges and moves like you wouldn't believe, especially for a guy who who has such length to him. For him to be able to to stay compact and stay balanced and redirect and change direction. Like, he's so good on screens and he's so good on spa- in space, despite the fact that he has that really awesome length. It's a ton of fun. Now, Technique-wise, like I said, when you when you fail to stay on the practice field and when you aren't necessarily super committed to the program, there's going to be technical issues. He's got a lot of panic to him, which which concerns me with like a potential year one starter. But I can iron panic out of you if I teach you the the correct responses to when all right when you see the brusher flash hands when he comes speed to power. So you've got to teach him a little bit the reactiveness to the position. Um, but Charles is 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 my dude in terms of the day two tackle that I'll just. I'll take a swing on him regardless because I think that the the peaks are really high for him. And then Ben Barch is that, that example of, you know, how early am I willing to take a leap on a guy who's I'm going to have to commit resources to a huge risk because it doesn't matter how good you are when you play at St. John's. It's a big risk for you coming to the NFL. It was the same for. Nasir Adderley coming out of Delaware is the same for Adam Shaheen coming out of Ashland, right? And you'll notice neither one of those, uh, Adderley was hurt, but, you know, 
Adam Shaheen struggled, right? When you're coming out of this low of, of a caliber of competition, it's always a huge jump. Now we have the Senior Bowl, and Barch was steady steady at the Senior Bowl. He had some really good reps. I think that he's got excellent finishing ability. I think that he's got really effective pop in his hands. I think that you see him displace guys and initially move them off their spot with a ton of aggressiveness, which is really exciting for his projection to the NFL because usually the first thing that the smaller school guys will struggle with, especially a guy who transitioned from tight end, is power. And I don't think he's going to be lacking for power. I don't think he's going to be lacking for functional strength at all. Now, that being said, it's going to be a couple years. Barch has got some really bad habits in terms of getting into his pass sets. Nobody ever gave him issues with speed off the edge at all. And so he just walks into his pass sets. He doesn't need to race anybody there. They can't beat him to the spot. He's too big and he's got too much natural quickness. So Barch, I think like if the Packers draft Barch, it makes a lot of sense for the current timeline, given what you've got with Rick Wagner on a one, two year rental, because Barch is probably one, two years away. And you don't want to rush him into starting roles early because he's going to panic and he's going to fall back on, on the technique used at St. John's, which will get him absolutely killed against NFL caliber rushers. So I like Barch. I'm fine with him. People get a little bit crazy with him when you have to understand, like, it doesn't matter how dominant you are at the D3 level. It's going to take time for you to acclimate when you go to the NFL. There's no way around it. Yeah, given that, like, one to two year developmental time that the Packers kind of have here, it's fun to look at some of these other mid-round prospects that, you know, could develop uh, in a perfect world into that kind of starter player. Are there any other mid-round prospects that get you kind of excited as those developmental kind of guys? Yeah, I watched uh, Justin Heron, the Wake Forest kid. He was also a senior bowler the other day. He's he's like Jack Driscoll. He's probably a guard in the NFL. If anything, he's going to be able to back up four positions for you. Uh, and, and I like his film. He's smooth. He's controlled. He's consistent, right? Like I, I think that as, as a pass blocker, he's just got good instincts. He's got good reflexes. He understands how rushers are going to try to break him down. Now, he doesn't sustain blocks too well. You know, he's got similar issues to, to Austin Jackson. But if you're telling me I can get Justin Heron around two rounds after Jackson, I'll take that discount. Uh, I think I can get a, a similar player at the tackle position. We, I, I've mentioned him obliquely. Prince Tegelbenog out of Auburn is a guy I appreciate a lot. Now, the fact that he's been unhealthy for the pre-draft process, which has limited teams' access to his athletic ability, getting official numbers on him, could be a big deal. Because there's a chance that Tega is equivalent in terms of a developmental athlete prospect to Ezra Cleveland. And we just didn't see it because he couldn't train at all leading up to his pro day. He had an incomplete pro day. He couldn't do anything at the combine because he's been dealing with these knee issues, right? Tega's film at Auburn was never great, but... He started playing football his final season of high school. He started playing it to get in shape for basketball season because he came over uh, to be a basketball player. He ends up getting recruited, plays for Auburn. Auburn plays their guys on both sides a ton because of how much they move their lines. They play tackle over stuff. So he's got experience on the left and the right. And he clearly gets so much better across 2018 and 2019. And I know I said, you know, you don't want to commit to and rely on development across from college to NFL. Cause it's not always that way. But with Winogo, you saw a guy in a respected program that loves to run the football and that has produced good offensive linemen get better across the course of two years. So if anything's going to tell you that the guy will be able to take to coaching and he will be able to develop, that's a pretty good exemplar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tega is Tega is we thought could be a fringe first rounder in the preseason. I think the way this tackle class has developed, he's going to be now a day two pick for sure. But if we're talking about Tega at 62, 
to me, that's extreme. That's that's tremendous value, and I'd go right at it. Yeah, it's super interesting. I feel like we're talking a lot about uh, developmental offensive tackles, and maybe this isn't true, but I feel like we talk about developmental tackles maybe even more than developmental any other position. So uh, let me ask you, Ben, is is there a trait or two that you look for in offensive tackles that you think is a pretty good predictor of success in that developmental process? Yeah, so I, like I said, I alluded to this earlier, but the more and more I've watched offensive tackles and come to understand the the game – there's an extent to which you can dictate as a tackle, but every tackle at some point is going to have to play from a very re- reactive place. And like when you watch the best tackles go against the best edge rushers, right? Like eventually you're just going to have to leave yourself susceptible to Von Miller on the outside shoulder or Von Miller on the inside shoulder. And you don't know which way he's going to go. And whichever way he goes, you're going to have to get enough of him hard enough that your quarterback can step around Von Miller as he slithers into the backfield, right? You're not going to be able to jump set Von Miller for a whole game. Can't be done. He's just too good, right? And the edge has the advantage of knowing it's third and eight. They got to pass it. I'm just racing the dude, you know, to to the the peak of the pocket. And I know I'm hitting an outside rush move. I know I'm hitting my inside counter. The offensive tackle has to react. So the more and more I watch the position, the more I want to see a guy with good reflexes who's always balanced and controlled in his sets so he's always able to recover. We talk about the eight angles of offensive line play because offensive linemen, more so than running backs, more so than wide receivers and cornerbacks, at any time may need to go any direction. Right. They're constantly being challenged by stunts and by pressures and by blitzes and having to recover and by different rush moves. And, you know, off defenses are going to blitz. and They're going to throw a ton of bodies at you and they're going to twist guys around. You're going to have to crash inside and keep that post foot discipline. You're going to have to ride a guy beyond the peak of the pocket. You're going to have to carry a guy and exchange him with your guard and pick up a new guy. There's just so much redirection that occurs. We talk about change of direction for running backs. We should talk about change of direction for tackles. They're out on an island dealing with a ton of bodies flying in different ways. And the quarterback's moving and they don't know which direction he's heading and so all of a sudden you got to change your plan so i want a quick mind i want quick reflexes i want a balanced space that gives you the ability to recover and that's the one thing that i i think i've consistently looked for i think when i get suckered in by tackles who end up bad at the nfl level a lot of it's because they controlled so many reps by being aggressive by being strong by being long by being bigger and then at the nfl level they didn't have that to fall back on and they don't know recovery techniques they don't know how to get back on the horse once they fall off once they get beat by a rush move so i like my tackles and and i said this with andrew thomas you don't have to be the quickest dude in the face of the planet just have the technique and have the size to be able to recover in space so i like my tackles who are able to get beat but survive and give their quarterback an outlet to get away from a rusher, get their hands back on a, on a, a run defending defensive tackle, take him where he wants to go, let the running back cut back up field. Don't panic, see what's happening to you quickly and have the athletic ability to recover. So we obviously talked about last year, we had you on the this, this show um, and guys like Jonah Williams and Andre Dillard really headlined the 2020 class. Where would you say that those, those two players would rank compared to this year's class? Yeah, so I, I don't know if you remember, we talked about Dillard, who ended up going to my Philadelphia Eagles in a trade-up. Yep. Uh, I don't like Dillard as a first-rounder, and, you know, Dillard got thrown into playing right tackle for the Eagles with some injury, and preseason he looked solid, but he had some issues. He's he, he's They're working on him, right? He's, he's His first year was what you expected, right in the bench and hopefully getting better. Dillard would not sniff the top four for me, and he would also come in under... 
uh, Lucas Niang for me. He would be more so around where I currently have Prince Tego Winogo, uh, which is in the in, in the 30s of, of my board. And Jonah Williams is a different conversation. I had Williams as offensive tackle three. I had him behind uh, Cody Ford, who was my tackle one, and Jawan Taylor, who was my tackle two. Now, they were thick, one right after the other, much similar to how I have uh, 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 Wills and Thomas pretty much right next to each other. So that tier, Ford, Taylor, and, and Williams, would end up around my offensive tackle three, maybe offensive tackle four in this class. Uh, so they would be behind Judge Wills, behind Andrew Thomas, who I prefer to any one of last year. Um, but they would probably come in right around where I have Tristan Werps currently. And then, you know, figuring that out, if, in terms of my grading scale, Williams would be my offensive tackle six. He'd be just a skosh behind uh, Werfs. But there's always, you know, Williams coming out in this class probably has another year of tape and another year of tape kind of tells us a different thing. So I think Williams would have been among the big four and Diller would have been a tier behind them. So are we going to let Ben get out of here without giving him a hard time about being an Eagles fan and how that can mess up the Packers draft? No, absolutely not. We okay, that's an Eagles question. <laughs> How are we, so, how we going to mess up the draft? What are we going to do? Well, so basically, one of the players that everybody is falling in love with is Justin Jefferson. Um, do, do you do you see the Eagles going wide receiver in the first round? It's on the table. Um, the the Eagles are doing this fun thing, guys. It's great. I can't wait to tell you about it. Where they're like, hey, our wide receiver room actually isn't as bad as you think. And we're all like, no, like it is. Like It's not good, guys. Um, so they're... We, they didn't sign a single receiver in free agency. And I think they're kind of trying to play it off like, oh, it's because we have faith in our guys. Whereas really, I think they got got a little bit, right? They they didn't get the guys they thought they were going to be able to get the price tag. They thought they were going to be able to get them. So they have a desperate need at wide receiver, from what I understand. But this whole messaging of, oh, maybe our wide receiver room isn't that bad, leads me to believe that, yeah, maybe they could go a different direction. It's unclear. Well, there's there's a lot of scariness in the 20s for for Packer fans. That's all I'm saying. A lot How of much, wide receiver needy okay. teams. Okay, so who who do the what receiver does the Packer want? Justin Jefferson. Yes. Y'all can have him. I mean, like the Eagles need a a guy who can win one on one on the outside, preferably with deep speed. And like Jefferson maybe is that guy, but he wasn't at LSU. And, like, if, if that's simply because Jamar Chase was the dude at LSU, that's fine. Like, you know, like, I, I don't think Jefferson can't do it. It's just I, I'll take me a LaVisca Chenault, Jalen Rager, Denzel Mims, mm-hmm. who I think, you know, has shown that ability on film more consistently because he's been asked to do it more. And I think they can do it at a very high level. So I have Jefferson as a two anyway. So y- y'all can take him. Y'all use him <laughs> well. I think that's that's the type of receiver you need. I need a, a, a Devontae Adams. I need a guy on the outside winning deep down the field. Please and thank you. Yeah, it's super interesting. The Packers have that really strong RAS, you know, profile. They love the RAS players. They love their super young players. And um, Justin Jefferson is both of those things. And so I feel like if he's on the board there at 30, he would be a run to the podium kind of pick for the Packers. But we are pretty nervous about the Eagles. We're nervous about the Saints. Nervous about That's the Vikings. Say, having I'd be, I'd be nervous about Minnesota. Yeah, Man, yeah, you lose Stephon Diggs, you add Justin Jefferson, you keep that train chugging. You know that that's to me that's where I see the best fit for Jefferson in the twenties. Is many. And I'm trying to emotionally prepare myself for them taking a player that I love because that happens yeah. every single. Yeah, year. May, may, maybe I don't like Justin Jefferson that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. So, um, in true fashion, Andrew and I always end up talking about wide receivers, even when we're not supposed to. So, um, true to form here on the Pack a Day podcast. But Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to join us and talk NFL draft. Uh, why don't you just take a minute, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about more uh, where they can find you on Twitter, maybe a little bit more about the Draft Network and those kinds of things. 
Yeah, no, so I am uh, on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. Solak is S-O-L-A-K. The Draft Network is on Twitter at The Draft Network and uh, thedraftnetwork.com. As Andrew, much better than I'm about to, said at the beginning of the pod, we do have uh, the TDN Premium subscription, which is open for everybody who's really a big draft fan or just on a monthly basis wants to be that big draft fan. It opens up trades in the mock draft machine, uh, gives you access to the TDN Expert Forum and all of our portfolio content, which is our big NFL draft content. It's custom produced and everything. Right now, my quarterbacking uh, charts, contextualized quarterbacking are coming out right now across the course of the month, which is advanced uh, uh, passing data and charting data on all the draft eligible quarterbacks. Not that the Packers will be interested in any of the early ones, but maybe some of the developmental ones later. If that's something you'd like, go check us out at thedraftnetwork.com. You can always hit me up and ask me some questions. Questions. Yeah, so make sure you give Ben a follow for sure, especially in these weeks leading up to the draft. Uh, you won't be disappointed that you did. Ben, we love all you guys over at the Draft Network. The work that you guys do is incredible. It makes this time of the year so, so fun. And uh, we really do appreciate you taking the time to join us today. No, I appreciate you having me on, fellas. Always a good time. All right, this was super fun, but that is all the time we have for today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Please remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. You can catch Kyle and myself every Friday. We're going to be back next week with more offseason and NFL draft coverage. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.